to Southview Baptist Church. We're all glad you are here. I am glad that we are able to worship the Lord together in freedom, the joy of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Um, if you don't know who I am, I am Pastor Steve Aldi, the pastor of adult discipleship and hanging on to children still until we find a new um, children's director, which brings up one of the announcements that I want to make, which is there was a business meeting that was scheduled for next week to approve the face-to-face -face storage building that's going to be built 
or proposed to be built behind the church, that has been moved to March 7th, immediately after the 11 o'clock service in the FLC. The reason that we've moved it is because we also want to vote on the um, job description for the children's ministry director, which, and the salary package, and all that information you can get in the back um, in the uh, Welcome Center. Um, and the vote, those that vote need to be members. So I encourage you all um, to be there. It's going to be right after the 11 o'clock service on March 7th. Also on March 6th at 9 a.m., there is a women's breakfast in the FLC, and you can text breakfast to 910-424-1298. And third, there is a missions fundraiser March 13th, which is a Saturday, and we encourage everyone to come and be involved with that. Um, and you can see our website or the app to get details on all three of those and all the other events that we have here at Southview. I'd like to read a passage as we get, get ready to sing praise and worship to God. In Psalm 33, this is the word of God. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. That word becoming means befits or is fitting to or is appropriate. And it can now actually be translated is lovely to the upright. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praise to him with a harp and tens of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all the host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, revere him, venerate him, be it wonder of the sublime and transcendent being of who God is. This is the God that we worship. And what I want to do is continue looking at the Lord's Prayer, but I want to go back to the very first request in the Lord's Prayer, and that is, hallowed be your name. Because how many of you know that I can just say categorically that none of us worships and honors and loves and venerates and, it, and are at awe of God to the proportion that is due his holy name, do we? So the Lord Jesus, in telling us how to pray, the first request is that his name would be hallowed in our hearts and through us in this world that blasphemes and denies his name. 
Let's all bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness towards us. And we pray, Father, that your name would be known as holy, as hallowed, that your name would be known as that which is totally separate from all else, that you are pure and holy and wonderful and beautiful and valuable above all things. We pray that you would do this in our hearts this morning as we stand in awe before you and worship you with joy and thanksgiving. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.
God's word says, he says, he set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace. Isn't that amazing, church? That for all that would believe, he set you apart before eternity and called you by his grace. And as a result, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we sing and we celebrate not in ourselves, but in the work of Christ on the cross, his mercy, his graciousness, his hope, his salvation, his forgiveness, his never-ending, never-changing love. We have victory through him. Let's continue to sing and celebrate. Yes. I'm not backing down from 
Oh 
may be seated, church. Glad to be here with you all this morning. Um, we want to continue on with Brad started in the book of Acts. Um, united for the mission. And uh, I'm going to be speaking to you from Acts 2, verse 42 through 47, and uh, giving some introduction starting uh, back in uh, the beginning of Acts 2. So if you can turn there, as I find it myself. We all live in troubling times, don't we? I mean, Put aside the uh, COVID narrative, but look at the political situation, um, the taking away of freedoms, uh, hushing voices from media, distorting the truth. Things haven't changed much over the past 4,000 years, have they? 2,000 years ago, at the beginning of the fledgling church, there wasn't much difference. There was deception from the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. There was the Roman rule that ruled with power and oppression, distorting the truth just like it's happening today. But in the midst of that, there became a fledgling community with power, comfort, purpose, and the same can be true today, amen? But the question that I want to ask today is, why did it happen? Why in the midst of such oppression and deception was there a church started and thriving with joy and the Holy Spirit? That's the question that I want to answer, and hopefully we'll be able to answer that. There are certain signs of a true church, and there are signs of a genuine believer. And in the passage that I want to discuss today, there are three categories or three signs that show a true believer and a true church. And those signs are worshiping God, number one, and that is the foundation. That is the fundamental that everything else stems from. Worshiping God, seeing who He is, being in awe of Him, loving Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And because we live in this fallen world where there is deception, Satan is still alive. He deceives. We have unrenewed minds. Sin still dwells in the flesh. We have counterfeit... Um, temptations that we think we can find pleasure in. Therefore, we need to nurture within one another an ever-increasing knowledge of God 
and fulfillment in Him. So the second is nurture. And the third, because we love God and are nurtured to worship Him and to value Him above all things, we will become witnesses of His glory. So, in the introduction, I ask the question, have you been pierced to your heart? Peter was preaching the gospel after the day of Pentecost, and people came rushing and said, what's going on here? And he preached the gospel to them. And beginning in verse 37 of chapter 2, the narrator says, now when they had heard this, when they had heard the gospel, they were pierced to the heart. And said to the, it said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were pierced to the heart, or you could translate it, they were wounded in their conscience. They merely didn't make a decision to follow Christ. Something happened to them that changed their lives. They didn't merely choose to be saved. There was something that happened to them and in them that decisively changed the course of their life. While they were hearing the gospel, they were pierced to the heart. They were convicted of their sin before God. What is the message? What is the message that is preached to us that has the possibility of convicting us, us of our sins and piercing us to the heart? Number one, it's about Jesus, who isn't just a good teacher, just isn't a good rabbi, just doesn't have a, a, a way for us to follow but He is God Himself. In and through Him, all things were created. They were created not only in and through Him, but they were created for Him, for His glory and honor. He is God. When Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's essential to the gospel. Jesus is God. Where else? Peter also said, where else are we to go to hear the words of eternal life? It is through Christ Jesus himself because he is God. Why was Jesus crucified? Why does the message of Jesus' incarnation and his law-fulfilling life, his law-fulfilling death, burial, and resurrection, what is the um, implication of that? Why did he have to do that? To answer the, the answering that question will help us understand why these people were pierced to their heart and why we should be also. We were created 
in the beginning to be image bearers of God. We were created to show forth God's glory. Um, I'm from the Washington, D.C. area, and when you go into Washington, D.C., uh, practically at every circle there is a statue. Why are those statues there? Answer is, they represent and honor the person that the image shows. And brothers and sisters, we are living statues created to represent and honor the God who created us. The problem is we have rejected this God and wanted to live for our own glory and honor. We've rejected him and said, you're not worth it, I don't trust you, I can only trust myself and I'm gonna live in a manner that gives me the glory that I deserve. Now that is rebellion, isn't it? That is insurrection in the eyes of God and is worthy of eternal punishment and his wrath. Can you imagine um, an artist painting a painting, a beautiful painting, and all of a sudden the, the um, pigments decide they want to form their own picture? What would that artist do? He would take that canvas and burn it and throw it away because it is defacing his purpose. It is defacing the image that he had that he wanted to represent. Each of us deserves nothing but the very eternal wrath of God. And when we begin to understand that, and we understand that God is gracious and merciful to us in sending His Son and taking on that wrath of God as He hung on the cross, if it doesn't pierce you to the heart and humble you, you don't understand it fully. Now, I'm not saying that any of us understands it fully. I, for one, do not. But I sense something, and my prayer is that you sense something of how we have dishonored God and having deserved nothing but His wrath, instead are receiving mercy and grace and kindness. The Bible says in Romans, and I'm going to... Um, share a whole lot of scripture that isn't going to be on the screen, so if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. In Romans 1, verse 18 through 20, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, what? Suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because, why is the wrath of God on all men and women? Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. God's wrath is justly upon us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 10, Paul describes all of us before coming to Christ. He says four things, that we are helpless, that we are ungodly, that we're sinners, and that we're enemies. 
And he says, in spite of all of this, Christ showed his love towards us. What we deserved for our insurrection and rebellion is nothing less than the eternal wrath of God. And in this desperate condition, these first converts, these 3,000, came to their senses. They saw their accountability before God. They understood that they were made to reflect the glory of God and did just the opposite. They deserved nothing but the punishment of God and the doom that God prescribes. But they saw that Jesus Christ died instead of them, took on that punishment. And is the reason he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ drank that cup, the cup of God's wrath to the dregs. He took it for you and I. And so they cried out, what must we do? They were pierced to their heart. What must we do? Peter said, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And repentance, as most of us know, is turning from sin and turning toward God. It is not just a turning in behavior, but it is a turning in affection. It is turning in what we value and love. It is turning from loving darkness and hating the light and turning to loving the light and hating the darkness. But the question is, is how can that happen? How can I turn, for example, from hating Brussels sprouts to loving it? That's a miracle, believe me. I eat it because it's good for me, but that is it. God commands us to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. How does that happen? So the question is, are you born again? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ aren't only forgiven, they have been transformed from in their hearts. They are born again by the Spirit of God. These 3,000 that were pierced in their hearts because of their sin, their sin of dishonoring God, were enlightened by the Holy Spirit, changed by the Holy Spirit, born again by the Holy Spirit, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, made a new creation in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit to perceive things differently. And because of that, they willingly repented from their sins and turned towards the wonder and beauty of who God is. The question is, now that, that's my introduction. <laughs> now we'll get into the message. The question is, is how did these converts, these 3,000, respond? What did they do? They worshiped. They nurtured one another. 
and they became witnesses. Next slide. There we go. Read the scripture in verse 42 onward. They were continually, they is the 3,000 that just were pierced to the heart, repented and received the Holy Spirit. They were continually devoting themselves. I want to emphasize, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What was the result of these 3,000 um, converts? How did they manifest this in their day-to-day -day lives? Uh, and I want to point out these three things. They worshiped God. They nurtured one another in their faith. And they were a witness of the reality of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, they worshiped. And the question I have for all of us, are we at awe of God? And are you at awe that you are saved by him? Is this a surprising thing to you? The Bible says in 2, verse 43 of chapter 2, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And in verse 46, second half of 46, first part of 47, it says they were taking their meals together with gladness, sincerity of heart, praising God. They had a sense of awe. Fear came upon them. It was a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. It includes the idea of veneration and wonder of the sublime, transcendent revelation of God to us through Jesus Christ in the gospel. They were experiencing the nearness of God in their midst. They had the supernatural conviction of their sins and the revelation of God's mercy in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, which gave the people a lasting sense of awe. God was at work in their midst and among them, and as F.F. F. Bruce said in one of his commentaries, they were witnessing the dawn of a new age. And brothers and sisters, we are continuing and witnessing a dawn of a new age, which will be completed when Christ comes back. Now, many say that this awe and wonder is because of the, the 
wonders and signs um, that came through the hands of the apostles. It says they were, had a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now I want to bring to your attention that it does not say they had a sense of awe because of the many wonders and signs. No, it says they had a sense of awe and or in addition to the many wonders and signs through the hands of the apostles. Two different things. And I want to bring out that um, what is the purpose? I just want to make this point clear, kind of as a, a parenthetical statement. What, what is the purpose of signs and wonders? What is the purpose of a sign? It is to point to something else. The sign in itself has no worth except what it points towards. Signs and wonders of the apostles were attesting miracles that pointed to the validity of the teaching of the apostles. Same, the signs and wonders that came through the Lord Jesus Christ, the purpose was to attest to the um, authenticity of the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ of who He is and what He came to do. There are many that seek after signs and wonders. They seek after personal words of God and are not satisfied with the Word of God that God has already given us. In other words, they find their awe and satisfaction in manifestations of the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't manifestations of the Spirit still today, but what I'm saying is, is what are we seeking after? Those that are seeking after manifestations and words from God have been distracted from the reality of who God really is described in this revelation in the Bible. An example of that is Simon the Magician in Acts 8. Now, I'm not going to read that because we'll run out of time. But Simon saw that by the hands of the apostles, men and women were receiving the Holy Spirit. And he wanted to give the apostles money so that he could do it also. And Peter had some pretty harsh words for him. You can see that in Acts 8, 9 through 24. The opposite of what are signs for, Jesus in healing a paralytic showed that his authority, he had authority to forgive sins. Let's turn to Matthew 9, 2 through 8, just to get this point across. Matthew 9, 2. <clears throat> I hear those pages rustling. That is a great sound to hear. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up 
and walk. But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. What authority was given to this man, Jesus Christ? Two things. One, he had authority to heal that man, that he could get up and walk, but that was merely a sign pointing to his real authority, which is to forgive us of our sins. Hmm. As a matter of fact, I was just thinking this morning that this whole creation that God spoke into existence is a sign. This is a miracle of creation. How many of you have gotten up early in the morning and seen a sunrise and you had to pause because of the awe that you felt of such a beautiful scene? How many have been to the Grand Canyon or just a magnificent um, view of nature and you have this sense of rest and peace and awe now, when I was growing up, I felt that awe of nature. I loved being in nature, but it stopped there. I was a worshiper in a sense of nature, not realizing it was a sign pointing to the creator, the master of this nature, that this was, is just a thumbprint, uh, a fingerprint, a sign of who God is who created it for us to give glory and honor to him. So I understand this passage isn't merely talking about being in awe of miracles, but being in awe of who God is in bringing forgiveness to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God just isn't a, 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 a grandpa that we can cuddle up into his lap. God is God. He is the great other than. No one is like him in majesty, in value, and worth. Do you ever tremble at God's words, as it says in the Old Testament? Do you ever feel trembling at the thought that when you die, you will be face to face with God himself. Thank God that we have the assurance that because of Christ Jesus and being in Christ Jesus, it is not our righteousness because we have none that we can bring before him to be accepted by him, but our acceptance is only, only in Christ, who he is and what he has done for us. The more that we understand that, 
the more that we will be humbled before him, the more that we will be humble with each other, the less that we will be justifying ourselves to each other, and we will be able to take criticism for what it's worth. How many of you are married? How many of you have had, and this is true of singles also, how many of you had your spouse criticize you in one way or the other? And knowing that what they said at least is partially true, but you defended yourself and tried to justify yourself. I gotta raise my hand. I've probably done it in the last 24 hours. Why do we do that? I'll answer it another way, and just repeating myself, the more that we see that God has justified us in Christ Jesus, the less we will have need to justify ourselves, to give glory to ourselves, but we will see the one whom deserves all glory, praise, and honor, which is God. When Jesus comes the second time, those who do not believe, this is 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. You don't need to turn there, but listen carefully. Those who do not believe will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes, we will marvel. The question is, do you have a sense of that marvel here and now? Do you have a sense of that awe of who God is, which would lead you not only to sing to him, but to live a life of worship to him? What is it that God is seeking? What kind of person is God seeking? John 4, 23 through 24 tells us one aspect of that when he's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. He said to her, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is seeking those to worship him. That's why he created us. He created us for our, his glory. And he gets glory as we see something of that glory, have joy in that glory, find satisfaction in that glory, the glory of his benevolence, the glory of his kindness, the glory of his mercy and grace, the glory that he is the source of all satisfying life. He is the originator, the spring of living water, we are the ones that are thirsty. He is the bread of life. We are the ones that are hungry. When we eat of him and find satisfaction of him, who gets the glory? He does. 
He is the benefacti. We are the benefactor. We get the result of his mercy and grace. We are beholden to him. God seeks worshipers. Now, when I, th- when I think of um, God seeking worshipers, I think in terms of he's seeking those that would be at awe of him. He is seeking those that would love him with all their heart, mind, and strength, the great commandment. He is seeking those that treasure him above all things. He is seeking those that value him, that esteem him. He is seeking people that love and enjoy him. So, are you at awe of God? And are you at awe of and amazed that you are saved in spite of yourself? The first believers, these 3,000, had that sense of awe. They were glad in the Lord. They were sincere in their hearts, and they praised God. Second, nurture. And the question is, are you being nurtured to delight in God? Are you being nurtured to love him more? Are you being nurtured to value him? And do you have a desire to be used of God to nurture others, to have an ever-increasing love and adoration of God? The scripture says in Acts 2, 46, um, excuse me, 42, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And in verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. I want you to note that if you have the English Standard Version or another version, it says they were devoting themselves. They devoted themselves to these things. The New American Standard adds the word continually. They were continually devoting themselves. The Greek actually has in this idea of continuing in something. The Laonida lexicon says this, that this word, this Greek word translated devoted means to continue to do something with intense effort with the possible implication of despite difficulty to devote oneself to, to keep on, to persist in. So it's to continue on in devotion in spite of difficulties. What are the difficulties that we devote ourselves continually to say the apostles' teaching. What are some of the difficulties that we run into? What are the obstacles that you and I face (laughs) I thought I would have this time up here, but it's not showing. I'm going to run out of time. How much time do I have left? All day, okay. That's my last name, Aldi. Aldi. I'll have to make this quick. 
We are in between the already and the not yet. Already Christ has died for us. Already our sins are forgiven. Already we're justified by faith if you're a believer. Already you are born again. You've been made a new creation in Christ. But Christ has not yet returned. The not yet has not yet happened. I still have an unrenewed mind. Sin still dwells in my flesh. I still can be deceived very easily. If you know what I'm saying, say, oh me. It is because of this that we devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. And the teaching of the apostles is found right here in this book. This is a treasure. I tell kids almost every week, this book right here is your most valuable material treasure that you have in the world. There are people that would die, willing to die for one page of this book. The teachings of Jesus, the apostles and the prophets, the Word of God right here. And Peter says like in 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? If you have, there is a innate desire in you to want to know this God more. And it is through this book, through the teachings of the apostles and prophets, that we begin to see who God really is, that we begin to assess this world correctly, that we assess ourselves correctly and God correctly and each other's correctly. We are in a fight for our lives. We are in the fight of faith. And the only way that we can win this fight is if we are firmly rooted and grounded in the Word of God. And these 3,000, 3,000 new converts continually devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And they devoted themselves to each other, to fellowship. I don't know how much time I have left. How much time do I have left? Thank you. Why do we get together in fellowship? Because we need each other. Brothers and sisters, I can't make it on my own. No one can make it on their own because we are easily deceived. How many of you have found yourself heading towards sin and you didn't really know it? You don't need to raise your hand. I mean, all of us should be raising our hand. It is so easy. So we need to have loving, accountable relationships. I am here. I want to get here. I've got these obstacles before me, sin, the flesh, and the devil. How am I going to get there? I need you to help me. There are plenty of scriptures in the Bible, and I don't have time to get to them all right now. Um, but I want to share one of them with you, two of them. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 14 says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He's speaking to believers here. 
And he says, take care that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day. It didn't say Sunday after Sunday or Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday, but it said day after day, encourage one another as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our insurance firm to the end. And how are we assured that we will be firm until the end? The book of Acts shows us having fellowship with one another. Fellowship is sharing with one another. And what we share with one another, central is Christ. One more scripture on that, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another. Let us consider, think about how we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit is of some, but encouraging one another the more and more as you see the day coming. So we are to nurture one another, to love God, to walk with Him, and to be a witness of His glory. And that's the next slide, and I'm going to just about done now. Our people, go back to that last slide. Our people asking you, what is the hope that you have? The more that you know something of the glory of God, the more that you know that you are saved in hope and that Christ has not yet come, but he will come, that you do not fully understand who he is now, but you will fully see and know who he is when you are fully known. You will begin to act differently in this life and people would, will probably ask you, you've got a different hope than I have because you seem to be persevering even in the midst of suffering. What is the hope that you have? They did not have slick brochures announcing great evangelistic campaigns. They didn't have programs of evangelism. Their life was the program. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, next slide, now we're finishing. Southview Baptist Church exists. We are posturing ourselves with those three aspects that we find in the book of Acts chapter two. Number one, it's simple, to worship God. To number two, nurture one another to delight in God, to worship him above all things, to value him above all things. And that will lead to three, not doing witnessing, but truly being a witness. Because it is those that value God above all things that are a witness to Him. We become that true sign. We become that true living statue that gives glory to God because we glory in God. Do you see that that is your purpose? That is our purpose as a church, to reflect something, to receive, contain, and reflect 
the wonder and beauty of who God is. Next slide. And we do this through corporate worship, what we're doing right here, small groups, and prayerfully that twos or three would be getting together during the week, day by day, encouraging themselves in the Word of God, pastoral counseling, and in the future we plan to have classes on the fundamentals of um, the faith, that we would grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the teaching of the apostles. We thank you, Father, that your word not only gives us uh, objective facts and truths, notional ideas that are true, but in and through them you reveal yourself to us that we would even on a regular basis, be pierced to our hearts, to repent of our sins, and to gladly cling to the cross of Christ, being justified by faith alone, and securely and surely looking forward to that day that Christ returns. Father, I pray that you would strengthen these people to persevere in faith, to continually devote themselves to the Word of God, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with us. And one of the other things that we do, church, is that we sing together. And so my prayer, my hope is always that we don't simply sing a song, but that we worship and fellowship together. So I want to challenge you today. Obviously, this altar is always open if you want to pray or if you want to go and find a brother or a sister and pray with them or just join and sing. Don't let this just be another thing, a religious activity that the church does. Let it be something that we engage in and we worship God is holy. He has called us to something greater. Let's see.
us to turn to you, Lord, cause our hearts to be filled with adoration and hope for you and for you alone, that as the things of this world fade away, that we would see more clearly through the mirror where now we see dimly and we walk away and we forget. God, bind your people together that we might walk in the faith of Christ, the hope of his salvation. Allow the Holy Spirit to move in and through us. You have called us a holy people, a righteous people. Let our lives reflect that. May we be changed more and more for your glory. All God's children agree and we say amen. 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 God bless you guys. Have a fantastic week. Jesus is kind.